Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Tanefsky, and today I spoke with Joshua Green, a professor of psychology at Harvard University and the co-founder of Giving Multiplier. As Professor Green explains, charity experts have long recognized that feel-good and the do-good of charitable giving don't always fit perfectly together. This is because the charities that do the most good are not always the ones that feel the most compelling or personally meaningful. Giving Multiplier recognizes this and gives people options. It provides information about effectiveness and then allows donors to use both their hearts and their heads using its donation splitting program. First, donors pick a charity that speaks most to their heart. Donors then also pick a charity that researchers have identified as extremely effective, dividing their donation between the two. Finally, Giving Multiplier's matching funders add more to those donations. I think you'll find Giving Multiplier's innovative program very compelling and hopefully one that you will consider participating in. Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Donevsky, and today I'm here with experimental psychologist, neuroscientist, and philosopher, Professor Joshua Green. Professor Green, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. And before we discuss your nonprofit, Giving Multiplier, I think it would be very useful to learn about your background as a professor of psychology at Harvard and how it led you to create Giving Multiplier. So can you tell us about that background and your work in general? Sure. So um, I, I started out as a philosopher. I was really interested in trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong and why. And in the process of that, I got very interested in moral dilemmas that seem to sort of boil down to its essentials, the, the tension between at least two of the main thoughts uh, in, in, or, or schools of thought in, in Western moral philosophy. Uh, you have the utilitarians or consequentialists who think that morality is fundamentally about uh, producing good consequences. And then you have the Kantians or deontologists uh, who think that morality is about more than that and mo more fundamentally about certain rights and wrongs that are about rules that are independent of consequences. The ends don't justify the means and so on. And so I started thinking about these classic moral dilemmas, you know, kill one person to save five people and got very interested in the psychology and why we sometimes say that it's okay to have those kinds of sacrifices for the greater good and other times don't. And this led me to sort of shift fields from pure philosophy to a kind of scientifically informed philosophy, where I started doing brain imaging experiments and other kinds of experiments, trying to understand how our moral thinking works. And the sort of main thing to come out of this work is that our moral thinking is not just one thing, that we have emotional responses to certain kinds of actions that direct our moral judgments and behavior in a very powerful way. Uh, but we also have, we can also think about costs and, and benefits. Um, I'll, I'll give the sort of famous trolley cases. A lot of your listeners have probably already heard of them, but it gives the sense for this dynamic, right? So if you ask people uh, about a case where you can, a trolley is headed towards five people and you can hit a switch that will turn it away from the five and onto a different track with only one person, most people say that that's okay. But if you ask people, you know, if let's say you're on a footbridge over the tracks 
and you can save the five people on the tracks by pushing someone wearing a very big backpack off of the footbridge and onto the tracks, and that person will die and get hit by the trolley, but it will save the other five. Is that okay? And most people say no, or if they say yes, it's much more reluctant. And we've done a lot of research and a lot of other people in research to try to figure out what's going on there and what's the broader lesson. And, and the basic story is with things like pushing somebody directly and actively and intentionally hurting them with your, with your hands, uh, you have a kind of emotional response that we can track in uh, different parts of the brain, most notably a part called the amygdala, which is responsible for directing attention and emotion in a sort of immediate kind of way. But then we can also look at how that differs from the parts of the brain that are saying, well, wait, isn't it better to save more lives, five lives versus one? So this, this is kind of how I got into moral psychology and I, um, got lucky and uh, a, a scientific research department, the psychology department at Harvard was willing to take a chance on a philosopher who'd done some research. And so I set up my lab about 15 years ago and we spent a lot of the time thinking about moral dilemmas and other related things. A few years ago, I, I decided I wanted to try to work on some things where I could see a more direct real world application. And I started to think about charitable giving, which is something that's sort of important to me personally, but also I think is important from a research perspective. And, um, you know, there's a similar kind of what we call dual process dynamic, where there's a kind of tension between what you feel most strongly emotionally and what might make the most sense in a rational calculation. So um, if, if you give to charity, you know, most likely you give to a charity that speaks to your heart, that feels sort of, you know, emotionally salient in a personally meaningful way. And that might be, you know, if you love animals, you might give to the local animal shelter, or maybe you saw an advertisement uh, about, you know, children with cancer, and it just really spoke to you and you, you get decided to give to that, or maybe something related to a group that you belong to. And those charities can do a lot of great work, but the charities that have the biggest impact are not necessarily the ones that are most emotionally moving to us. And the ones that have the biggest impact can really have a big impact. So uh, uh, take a charity like Evidence Actions Deworm the World. Uh, it costs less than a dollar to provide a, a, a treatment that can combat parasitic infections in the digestive tract for, for, for children in the developing world where these parasitic worm infections are, are prevalent. So for in, an incredibly small amount of money, you can change somebody's life um, for less than a dollar, right? Uh, and, you know, there are other examples, you know, in the United States, it might cost $50,000 or so to train a guide dog for, for someone who's blind. Whereas a surgery to prevent a disease called trachoma can for less than $100 prevent somebody from going blind in the first place. Now, I don't mean to suggest that we shouldn't support people who are blind here in the United States. Doing that is certainly much better than most of what we spend our extra money on, right? But if you're going to give money to charity, you know, you can have a hundred times, even a thousand times more impact by choosing charities that are super effective. So there's this kind of tension here as well between the charities that pull at our heartstrings the strongest and the charities that have the most impact. So what do you do, right? I was convinced a while back, most notably by the arguments made by the philosopher Peter Singer and others since, that it makes sense to A, give a substantial amount to charity, and B, to do it, to give it to the charities that have the biggest impact, that save the most lives per dollar and do the most good to improve people's lives per dollar. So I thought, well, how, as a, now I'm, I'm putting on my psychologist hat, 
how what would be the best way to persuade people of this? And the sort of thought that I had and other people had as well, try to persuade people the way I was persuaded. So you make something like a Peter Singer style argument. So Peter Singer famously argued, you know, he said, look, if you were walking by a pond and there was a child drowning in it and you could wade in and save the child, but you're going to ruin your nice clothes that you're wearing, it'd be terrible for you to let the kid drown because you're worried about your suit, right? Um, and so he says, well, likewise, there are children who are drowning in poverty uh, elsewhere in the world, you know, and for the price of a nice set of clothes, you could either save a child's life or, or go some distance to doing so or provide much needed food or medicine or educational materials that would dramatically change someone's life. So I got it. I was convinced by that argument. And that's kind of what set me on this path in terms of my own thinking about this and my own charitable giving. And we tried doing some experiments, including some that Peter Singer himself participated on as a co-researcher. And what we found is it sometimes doesn't work at all and sometimes works a little bit on average, which is not, not bad, but, you know, wasn't like a huge effect. And then recently with uh, my postdoc, that is someone who already has their PhD and is doing research uh, in, in, in a lab, so, uh, Lucius Caviola is the name of my co collaborator on this, who's amazing. We have this idea to say, well, instead of telling people, look, don't give to the charity that you love instead give to this highly effective charity that you've never heard of and doesn't mean much to you what we said was well what if we just ask people to split their donations so you say look pick two charities pick one that speaks to your heart maybe it's the local animal shelter or something like that but then also pick one from this list of super effective charities that do an enormous amount of good per dollar and we did some experiments with this and we found people really like this that that uh, and and in fact when we if we if we did one version where we just gave people a forced choice pick your own give it all to your own charity that you you chose or this one that we picked that's one version of the experiment the other one is you can give it all to the one you picked you can give it all to the one we suggested or do a 50/50 split when you add that 50/50 split option more money overall goes to the more effective charity right so we thought, okay, this is interesting. And we did some further work to try to figure out, well, what's the psychology of this? And as I already suggested, it seems to have this kind of heart head balance where, you know, giving, giving, you want to give something to the charity that you love. But, you know, if you give $50 or $100, $100 doesn't feel twice as good. It maybe feels a little better, but it doesn't feel twice as good. And if, but if you take that second $50 and, and give it to a charity that, research experts say this is an incredibly effective charity. Now you get two kinds of satisfaction. You get the satisfaction of giving to that charity that you love, but you also get the satisfaction of doing this really smart evidence-based thing. So, okay. So people like this. And then we said, well, how would we get people to do this? Um, we could just say, Hey world, you should make these split donations, but you know, it's not clear how far that message would go. So we said, well, what if we incentivize people to do this? So we, we experimented with offering people money. We said, hey, if you split your donation between one you picked and one from our list, we'll add on top you know, a certain amount. And we found that people really liked that. And then we asked people, we said, okay, well, those matching funds have to come from someplace, right? So we said, well, what if maybe some donors would supply the matching funds? So we asked that afterwards, we'd say, hey, you just got these matching funds for the donation you just made. Would you be willing to take the part of your donation that went to the charity that you'd never heard of in the first place and put it into a fund that would allow us to match donations for other people? And not everybody, but a significant number of people said that they'd be willing to do that. 
And the way the math worked out, it looked like this whole thing could be self-sustaining. That is, there were enough people who were willing to put into the matching fund to cover the matching donations for the people who said, no, I'll just take the match. Thanks. And so we said, well, we got to give this a try. So we decided to build this website, which we've called Giving Multiplier. And so Lucius really you know, took the lead on this and uh, working with a fantastic web developer named Fabio Kuhn, um, who did a lovely job with the, with the, with the design, at least I, I, I think, and a lot of people have told us that. And we, we set up this website where we said, okay, come here. We have a little search field. Um, so people who are listening, you can go online if you're under just Google uh, giving multiplier. And when you get there, you'll see you know, a bit of an explanation about how the whole thing works. And then you'll see a little search field where you can search for any charity that's registered with the IRS in the U.S. So any 501c3 charity. So you can find your favorite charity there, even if it's a local small charity. And then we say, OK, here are these nine charities that experts say, based on evidence, are super effective. And some of them I've mentioned. So we've got deworm the world. We also have a, a charity that provides malaria nets, uh, anti-malarial nets, where um, you know you distribute a few thousand malaria nets, nets and you can expect to to save someone's life, which is kind of an amazing thing. Vaccines uh, for, 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 for young children. Uh, and then we have some charities that support animal welfare, uh, particularly agricultural animals, which suffer a lot more than companion animals. And then we have a, a charity related to preventing the next pandemic and one uh, related to climate change. And I, I'm not sure if I'm forgetting any, but we, that's our, our, our list based on expert research uh, evaluators. And so you pick one from that list, you pick your personal favorite, and then we have this nice little slider where you know the more you can decide how you, you put in how much you want to donate total, and then you have a little slider and you can decide how much you want to allocate between the two charities. You have to do at least 10% to the one from our list. And the more you give to the uh, effective charity, the super effective charity that we're recommending, the more we add on top. And, and so uh, you can make your donation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, right now, uh, we are adding 90% on top uh, for, for, for uh, giving it all to uh, the super effective wow. charity and 45% on top for doing a 50-50 split and, and points in between. I think it's really interesting how you found so much success in really introducing people to a lot of different issues, whether it be deep pragmatism or just the general philosophy behind giving multiplier with effective altruism. So I was wondering, why do you think it is that you found success in helping people learn about the importance of donating even to different countries or faraway countries, whereas some other approaches in showcasing the struggles of people far away, such as through commercials, have been unsuccessful and even sometimes desensitized potential donors? Well, so I think one of the lessons that people have learned is that it's very hard to motivate people with negative things. So early on in the days of international development, you know, people would show images of emaciated children on TV. And most people, I think, for that just want to turn away, you know, or they'll make a donation and then just never want to see it again, right? And, you know, you could say that maybe that's a, a flaw in human nature, right, that we just want to look away, but better to face, take, face human nature as it is 
than you know to to wish it were something else and act as if it were different. Um, so a lot of organiz organizations sort of got this message and you know put forward kind of more positive positively reinforcing messages that say, look, you can be part of this process of lifting people out of poverty, of saving animals from, you know, terrible uh, living conditions and so on. Right. Um, and yeah, so the, the organizations that we uh, support, oh, and I forgot to mention one of them. Another one is Give Directly, yeah. which uh, it, it, um, is interesting because it's, it's a very simple program. It's just direct cash transfers to people who are impoverished uh, in, in, in countries like Kenya, for example. And um, one thing that's nice about that is, you know, it, it puts a lot of freedom. It gives, it gives a lot of choice to the people who receive them. Critics would say, well, you can do more good by with very selective you know, health interventions like malaria nets and, and, um, and deworming pills. And there's a case to be made for that. But I think a lot of people like the idea of just directly helping people. Um, and, and I personally do support both kinds of charities. I think they're both worth supporting. Um, but, uh, that's an, an example of yeah. one of these charities that has this kind of positive success story sort of message. And I think that that's been very, that's been very important you know, yeah. to not think of this as sort of like a dreadful obligation, but something that makes you rightly feel like you are, part of something positive, part of something great, right? We, yeah. We truly, and that's the approach we take, we take as well. Yeah, and I definitely think it's interesting building off of that, almost the simplicity of donating and how it doesn't always have to be a really complicated process to be successful. And I know a common misconception about effectiveness is it's really about minimizing administrative costs and reducing right. from the charities themselves. But this obviously isn't always the case. So I was just wondering, right. what are your thoughts on that? No, I think this has been a big mistake that has been made in the kind of pop philanthropy world that like the the only, the best way to assess whether or not a charity is good is by how low its overhead, its administrative costs are. And if you if you think about it, I mean, you would never apply this kind of logic to a business investment, right? Some of the most successful companies in the world, the most successful companies in the world, invest enormous amounts in, in research and development. And they pay people well, and they have invest a lot in their own infrastructure, right? Um, and, you know, the, the idea that, like, the most effective charity has to be run on a on, on a on a shoestring right it's it's it, it just doesn't make sense that there are there are different ways to be effective and some require a lot of investment and some don't and also you know if you want to have having effective people running things really makes a big difference but you can't expect you know you can expect people maybe for a part of their lives to sort of be impoverished for a greater cause but at some point people grow up and they're like I want to be able to send my kids to college. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing, doing this good work, let's say, at a nonprofit if I didn't go to college. Right. Um, and, you know, and that's just a, a very stark example. Right. But so the idea that, like, you know, you're going to pay people peanuts and have them be long term effective advocates and uh, you know, for, forces for good. I mean, it just, it's just not sustainable. So the whole, like, keep the overhead to an absolute minimum model just makes the opposite of good sense. Instead, measure what you actually care about, which is how much of a impact you have for every 
dollar that that goes to, to to this organization. And fortunately, you know, in recent years, there are wonderful organizations like GiveWell and Animal Charity Evaluators and Founders Pledge that do this research and do a good job of it. Yeah, and I think in a way it connects to what Giving Multiplier is doing, where it's more than just direct donations, which, as we've talked about, is in itself a huge accomplishment. But also sometimes you can really amplify the impact of the dollars by taking into account other factors such as matching and incentivizing other people to spend more money. And it really just has this piling on effect that goes beyond simple donations in a way. Yeah, it's it's really been amazing. I mean, we didn't know if this was going to work there, you know, in that we did these experiments, but we didn't know, you know, in the real world, would there be enough people who are willing to put up the matching funds to do this? And the way, you know, charity matching normally works is you have a kind of angel donor who's working with the charity directly and who says, okay, I'll put up $100,000 and we'll match donations, right? Um, and, you know, we're not doing this with a, with a prearranged matching funder. Um, we're, we're doing the kind of democratizing, as we say, the, the, the matching process where, where lots of donors decide that they're going to become the matching funders and kind of pay it forward for other people. It's also, it also provides an answer to an argument against matching funds. So some people have criticized using matching funds in the following way. They say, look, if somebody puts up a bunch of matching funds and it's committed, right, then in what sense are the new donors who come in and get their donations matched really amplifying their effect by giving more because the matching funds are already committed. And when you donate another hundred dollars, it doesn't make another hundred dollars on top of yours appear. It's already there, right? Now you can make an argument that, well, in the long run, no one would put up matching funds if matching funds didn't work. And so you're kind of, you know, contributing to the next round of matching funds, but that's very, very indirect. With giving multiplier, it's still somewhat indirect, but it's not nearly as indirect as that. We have hundreds of people, maybe maybe even over a thousand at this point, who've supported the matching fund. And 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 we can see the cycle go. You know, we would stop collecting new matching funds if there weren't people willing to take them. And we would stop and people would stop getting their donations matched, obviously, if people weren't supplying matching funds. So there's this kind of supply and demand process where we can really see the wheel turning and it's this kind of virtuous circle. Um, and you know, we didn't know if this would work, if it would be self-sustaining. And uh, so far it has, just as the way it worked in our online experiments, which kind of stunned us. And um, with all this, we had a big milestone just a week or so ago. We got, uh, we hit the million dollar mark. Um, So we launched Giving Multiplier in November of last year. That is November of 2020. And now in December of 2021, we've raised over a million dollars. Um, and uh, a fair amount of that was going into the matching fund. And our matching fund is healthy and doing well, just from various people putting money into it, not some one prearranged donor. And we're uh, looking forward to seeing what happens in the rest of the holiday season. As, I, as we're talking, this is the 21st of December. So we have the last uh, nine days or so, um, of, or the last 10 days or so of, of, of the year, which is a, a big time because, you know, it's right up against the deadline for, 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 for tax purposes. Um, so we're excited to see what happens. Yeah, I really do think it's just so interesting to see how you found a way to make more sustainable this matching process that often is results almost in a dead end as you were talking about. And I think it just shows that innovation in charities and like in this charity sector is just as important as it is to businesses. And it's really important to keep innovating in these fields as well. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, 
it's, you know, it's a reminder of something that I've always believed in, but sometimes you need to have your belief reaffirmed, which is that ideas really matter that, you know, you can sort of have this sort of bias where you think like, you know, if you've, if you're just thinking and typing and moving around information and all of this was done just, you know, sitting at my desk and Lucius's desk on our computers. And, you know, you can sort of have this thinking where you say, oh, well, we're just, you know, pushing electronic paper around. And, you know, sometimes it does feel that way. But then to like actually see these things happen in the real world, because we we have this thought, huh, what if we tried it this way? And then there it goes. So I don't mean to, to be too self-congratulatory, but I, I, I say this as a reminder to, you know, all the people who, you know, work in, in, in social science or in other fields where there isn't necessarily a physical, tangible product that was, you know, but, but the thinking that you do about how the world works and how to make it better, it really, it really can make a difference. Yeah, I just, I think it's a, it's a simple sentiment, but it's something so important that people often overlook almost due to the simplicity of just that anyone can have that impact. And so I really am interested also in how, you know, to do such innovative things obviously requires research and different approaches. And so I was just wondering, I know you're doing a lot of work with Giving Multiplier, but how has your research really informed your work? Well, as I said earlier, I think the unifying theme in pretty much everything that I've done is this tension between the heart and the head, right? And you see this, you know, in the trolley dilemmas, but other things as well. I mean, one of the topics I've studied a fair amount mostly with my uh, former postdoc, Dave Rand, um, who's an incredible researcher, just an enormous powerhouse um, at MIT. Uh, and, you know, there as well, that there's this tension between intuitive prosociality when when the environment supports it, and then more sort of, you know, c- calculating approaches to, to social behavior and uh, things like religion, you know, um, and uh and more recently, I've gotten interested in political polarization and trying to sort of bring people together. And, and so with, with an amazing grad student named Evan D. Philippus, we've been working on creating a, a, a quiz game where we have Republicans and Democrats play as partners um, and seems to have a very positive effect. And so we're, we're excited about that work uh, as well. And there, you know, I think both giving multiplier and this other project. They both are kind of about meeting people where they are, you know, not saying, well, you should do this, so do it, but saying, well, what do you, what do you want, right? You want to give to this charity that speaks to your heart or, you know, maybe you're not interested in having a political dialogue with someone from the other side, but would you play a quiz game and win some money, right? Uh, And, uh, you know, so trying to figure out how do you make positive change emotionally appealing. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I know how you wrote a book called Moral Tribes that really discusses, you know, uniting different groups and different tribes, so to speak, with this idea of deep pragmatism or utilitarianism. And so it's interesting to think how, you know, this approach, this moral approach can actually connect multiple groups of people who wouldn't normally connect. Yeah, yeah, that's... uh... That's what, I mean, I think that's what both projects are about. I mean, one way to think about this altogether is 
Peter Singer, the philosopher who I mentioned before, he has this fantastic book called The Expanding Circle, in which he describes this historical process of morality becoming more inclusive, where, you know, in biological time, you go from creatures that only care about themselves and their offspring to having broader cooperation, social animals, to having with humans and with cultural evolution, cooperation extend beyond the immediate clan to, you know, larger groups, including nations and perhaps even internationally, right? And I see Giving Multiplier as operating at the border between nation and 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 world, right? And trying to sort of broaden the circle at that point. Um, and I see our political polarization work as working from sort of ethnic nationalist, you know, a, a more, you know, tribal approach uh, that is where you care more about the people who you see as being like you, but not necessarily a larger us, right? And and working to sort of expand the circle from, from tribe to nation and ultimately to world, right? And so I see, yeah, both of these projects are meeting people where they are and offering them something that they want and saying, okay, that's good. Let's do that. But let's also try to make our world a little bigger. Yeah, and clearly Giving Multiplier is doing such great work. And so lastly, I really want to ask, what is the best way that people can help if they're interested in getting involved? And of course, if there's anything that you'd like to add to our previous discussion. Well, um, so, you know, right now we don't have a big team and, you know, maybe at some point we'll be an independent organization. But right now we're actually, we're not even a nonprofit. Uh, We work with our partners at a, at a nonprofit called every.org, um, which is a general platform for making donations. And that's what enables us to have our donors make donations to any charity. So we're, we're really a kind of front end for, for every.org in terms of how the donations are actually processed. Um, so we're not a nonprofit. We're not an organization, you know, uh, yet. So we're, you know, we're not, but, but um, if people want to make donations, uh, you know, of course you can do that you go to giving multiplier.org. Um, and, I, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll set up a code. Yeah. Um, so, is it charity talk? Is that yeah. the is that charity talks? On? Yeah. Charity talks. So, <laughs> if you put in charity talks, you should get a slightly higher matching rate, and you can do a split donation the way a lot of our donors do, or you can just directly support the matching fund so that other people can have their split donations matched, and we can sort of expand the circle of people who are engaged with effective giving. Great. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate getting to speak with you and hear about your whole philosophy and giving multiplier as well. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's been great talking to you.